Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I hope wherever you are, you're having a lovely day, perhaps with a cup of tea or maybe a glass of wine in your hand. As I sit here in my lovely warm office, peering out the window at what appears to be a very rainy and grey day. Ah, I hope it is at least a little bit more sunny where you are, or if it's not, that you're warm and safe and your day is going really well. Uh, So just before we launch into today's podcast, I just wanted to let you know about a couple of things that are happening at The Mindful Dietitian. So it feels to me, especially here in Australia, that we are hitting workshop and event season. So in August, there's going to be the Australia New Zealand Academy of Eating Disorders, in otherwise called ANZ, our national conference at the start of August. And oh my goodness, for all you mindful dietitians, I hope that you've got that one on your calendar because it's going to be an absolute ripper. And by ripper, no, Americans, I do not mean farting. I mean, it's going to be awesome, basically. I've come to understand that ripper means farting or something. So anyway, please forgive me. And uh, shortly following that, we've got our um, body image workshop uh, with Marcy Evans and myself, and we are heading to London. Cannot wait for that one. So if you're in the UK or your accountant maybe has put a little bit of pressure on to be spending a little bit of money in the next tax year, or you want a handy little tax deduction (coughs) slash holiday, then please join us in London. That will be at the very start of September for a two-day workshop. And then following on from that, uh, Fiona Willer and myself will be heading around Australia. And by around Australia, I I wish I meant literally around Australia, but I don't. I mean our annual tour of Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, And then uh, Adelaide actually is coming up really shortly in June, at the end of June. And, uh, and next year, don't worry, Perth, we'll be back next year. New Zealanders, back next year again. But if you are a Kiwi, then uh, I'll actually be there at the end of October with a day on body image and then a day on mindful eating skills. So I would love to see you there. I have a particular soft spot for coming to New Zealand. I really adore my Kiwi colleagues. So can't wait to see you if you're able to make that. So all events are on our events calendar, which is at the Mindful Dietitian, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. And there, um, I don't only list events that I'm running, but also events that other people are running too. So there are opportunities there for you to list your event. And I'm really happy to give you a, a shout out. I think that the more we can help each other to spread the word about events that we're each running and, um, and great things that we're doing in the world for each other and, um, and also um, community members, then, you know, we can support the work of the non-diet approach and health at every size and bit by bit helping people heal. So without further ado, I wanted to introduce you to my guest. It was an enormous pleasure to speak with Vania Fatidis, who is a UK-based um, nutritionist and coach who um, who is originally from South Africa. So you'll hear this in her 
accent, of course. And um, Vanya is the founder of Peaceful Eating. So she's super passionate about helping people to stop obsessing about their bodies um, and what, when and how much to eat. And so her aim really is to work with folks um, in the community so that you can feel more relaxed around food, at ease in your body and use all that freed up energy to do the things that really matter to you. Of course, that's incredible. Vania is also a certified intuitive eating counsellor. She's a qualified mindful eating coach and a self-esteem mentor. She's been mentoring and coaching people to become more of their authentic selves for over two decades. And her website, you can find more about Vanya at www.peacefuleating.co.uk. I love this conversation. I know, I know, I know. I say this every single time, but it is such a privilege and a pleasure to be speaking with people who really I regard as leaders amongst nutrition um, and therapy professionals. It is just so wonderful to hear people's different ideas around the way that we work with people and um, and our concerns, uh, our concerns around food, eating and, and our bodies. And uh, Vania and I first connected through our shared passions in mindfulness and mindful eating. And you'll see this come through really, really strongly in our chat today. And Vania is going to be talking a lot about the work of Tara Brach, in particular her um, her beautiful meditations and both of our shared favourite, the rain or rains, depending on who you hear it from, meditations. I'm going to be listing that in the notes as well. Uh, so here you'll hear Vania and I not only talking about mindfulness and mindfulness-based practice, but also how it has been co-opted by diet culture and how we can become more aware of maintaining the integrity of mindfulness and mindful eating practice and how you can pass that on to your clients as well Um, and just become more aware of it within ourselves because we're all swimming in this soup. There's no doubt about it. So look forward to perhaps seeing you in our Facebook group, which is called The Mindful Dietitian, and um, or maybe in person in a workshop or online somewhere. And uh, hope you have a wonderful day and enjoy my chat with Vania. Welcome, Vania, to The Mindful Dietitian podcast. It's so, so wonderful to be speaking with you today. Thank you for having me, Fiona. I have been a fan of yours for a while, and it is an absolute honor to be here with you. Oh, it's so wonderful. My goodness. You know, you're in the UK. I'm in Australia. We're swapping sunny and rainy weather stories. It's, um, you know, it's one of those special times when you can connect with people across the other side of the world and it just makes things seem a little bit closer and smaller, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's so interesting how the global community works. You know, you can feel so familiar with somebody that you've never met, haven't actually even had a personal conversation with before. Exactly. It's really interesting. It is, isn't it? Now, at the end of the day, we're all just humans, you know, we're just humans connecting with each other. And, you know, all of that other stuff around, you know, who you are, where you've come from, which country you're in, what your politics is, you know, et cetera, et cetera, is, is actually irrelevant because we're just human beings connecting. Yeah, and that's a blessing, isn't it, of um, having social media and opportunities to connect in ways that we never did before. So, you know, I remember the day, I remember actually sitting in my lecturer's office, there was a group of us, and he was teaching us how to write an email. (laughs) 
and I would have been maybe um, uh, maybe well I was at university so maybe I was 18 or 19 and I just remember feeling really fascinated and looking at him and hearing the word internet for the first time and and him actually giving us instructions of how to write what was called an email and look here we are you and I recording a conversation through the internet <laughs> unbelievable it really is unbelievable I remember writing my first email which was when I was in London in the mid uh, 80s but that was in the days when you had to use DOS you literally had to kind oh, yes. of do coding to do any oh, kind of God. communication and we've come a long way so it's so easy now isn't it oh my goodness it is, yeah, and of course, you know, um, you and I are both really aware that there are some really difficult things that that folks have to deal with in terms of online communication and online imagery and some difficulties that really pop up for people. Um, and at the same time, you know, it's holding that blessing of what it can bring us, whilst also the awareness of how it can also hurt us as well, which is really tricky especially when you see the, um, you know, this, the information about um, the prevalence of images of mm -hmm. thin bodies, you know, bodies with certain kind of muscle tone and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and how many images we're exposed to every day without even trying. Um, mm -hmm. It really requires quite a lot of mindfulness and vigilance um, around what we were exposed to, recognizing what we're seeing. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. So I'm curious on that note to ask you a little bit about, you know, how do you speak about with, how do you speak about that with your clients in a way that supports them to kind of raise awareness of that? Hmm. Well, the first thing that I recommend people do is really to do a bit of an inventory on their social media and to look with curiosity and with objectivity so part of what you know as you know the mindfulness approach is to um, look at whatever you're looking at with objectivity so mm. it's like you're witnessing what you're seeing you're not so connected with it and involved in the story that you're watching on your newsfeed but rather you're taking a step back and you're looking at what actually is it that I'm exposing myself to. So to look with mindfulness at their social media and to look at, you know, who am I following? What sort of things are coming up for me? Um, what can I now start to unfollow mm. and withdraw from, you know, so because actually our social media to a large extent, we can curate. We're not, we can't really curate what's out there in the, you know, in the, in the real world and in, you know, inverted commas there, we can't, we can't help what we see, you know, on billboards and bus stop advertising and etc. But we can curate our social media to a large extent and we can choose what sort of ads we want to be exposed to. We can teach our social media how to show us what we want and not show us what we don't want. Yeah. So that, that's where I start with people. Um, is to is to you know have an inventory of what actually are they exposing themselves to and 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 to choose different things choose things that are um, much more healthy for us 
to be looking at diversity for one thing. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I really love those ideas. And I, um, I had a, I had a conversation just last year with, um, with a Dr. Philippa Diedrichs, who you might be familiar with. So she's an, actually an Australian researcher is psychology and body image research. She's actually based in Bristol at the Centre for Appearance Research. So her and her team, they've done some really interesting work on social media and she was involved with the, the, or has been involved for many years with the Dove campaign. Okay. Yeah, so she was telling me last year that what they have been looking at with some interesting results is comparing what happens to I think it was uh, yeah what happens to the way um, we feel about our own bodies and particular body comparisons when people um, uh, kind of at group A uh, curate their feed to remove um, kind of high body comparison imagery. So maybe that's the thin ideal, maybe it's the muscular ideal, maybe it's a certain type of body kind of comparison imagery. And then what they did is they compared that to a group where they didn't remove that imagery, but they added other imagery. So some of that was a combination of body diversity. So um, whether that was trans bodies, larger bodies, um, disabled bodies, ju just, just diversity of human body shapes and sizes type thing. And within that group too, they also added you know, kind of the meme type of thing, you know, of um, maybe self-compassion, um, maybe some quotes around mindfulness, um, maybe some quotes around self-care, things like that. And interestingly, they found that that people's attitudes, beliefs and behaviours towards their own body and, um, and body comparison type of um, beliefs and thought patterns or, or even you know uh, behaviors that were enacted as a result of imagery were, were mediated and reduced simply by adding the body diversity not necessarily just from removing which I found really interesting um, I wonder if yeah. I wonder if they would have had or might have considered having a third group where they did the removal mm. and they only had the you know great diversity of which of course thinner bodies and bodies with particular of particular mm -hmm. is part of diversity so of course, yeah. you know there would be but within a um a um uh, within a, a a realistic ratio you know of, of what actually is mm. out there oh yes because what we see at the moment is really i think around 97 percent of the images we see or of the, the body ideal, the current body ideal. Yeah. You know? and, and it's just unbelievable that so few images that we see out there are of what most people look like. Mm. Absolutely true. Yeah, that's, mm. that's so true. You know, and unless our eyeballs actually um, are able to take in, <laughs> not just our eyeballs, of course, but our brain and our body, everything is able to take in, you know, the true reflection of humanity, then yeah. it does, it does leave us with this very limited capacity, doesn't it? So 
And there's, there's an interesting psychological um, phenomenon, I don't know if you're aware of it, called the mere exposure effect. Oh, no, tell me about where, that. No. So it's, it's what you are consistently exposed to mm -hmm. is what you begin to prefer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm. So what I find so interesting is that, um, so, you know, one of the problems that a lot of my clients face is finding clothes yeah. and shopping shopping for clothes that they feel good in. And um, so when we've talked about, you know, they say, well, you know, if they look on the catalogs or whatever, they've got these mannequins or these models that are, you know, have very thin bodies and they can't see what the clothes are going to look like on them. And they kind of look at that image as that's how it should look. And then they put the clothes on themselves and it doesn't look like that and they yeah. don't like it. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about, well, the thing is you're continuously exposed to this is what you should prefer and this is what you should look like. So you do. And then when you see yourself, you don't like that because you're thinking, you know, the, the other is mm -hmm. the thing that it should be. But what's so interesting is I've written to, we don't have very many um, clothes manufacturers here or brands that really do cater for diverse body shapes. But there is one um, that I'm aware of. And um, I wrote to them and I explained this whole thing about, you know, can you not have models with really diverse bodies? I mean, not just the larger ones in the hourglass shapes, you know, but, but really diverse, you know, yeah. people who have apple shapes and, you know, really arms that have flesh on them and, you know, just um, have uh, much more diversity. And they said they tried it the customers didn't like it. Mm. So why didn't the customers like it? Because yes. everywhere that around them, they see the other that they've become, they, they've developed a preference for. And so then there's a, a dislike for the body that more closely re resembles them. So yeah. interesting, isn't it? So it's just like, well, where do you go with that? You know, at some mm. point, somebody's mm. going to have to say, we're just going to do this because this is the right thing to do. Yeah. And if it would be a tipping point, wouldn't it just yeah. be amazing if there were a tipping point of enough um, clothes manufacturers and um, retailers were doing it, then we would, we would change the mere exposure effect to people just seeing what is actually out there reflecting that and then preferring whatever is there because that's what they're seeing and they can see themselves in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. So what you're essentially saying is we find ourselves in a bit of a loop where people um, are not necessarily demanding well, sorry, on one hand, they are demanding more diversity, but then when more diversity is offered, they maintain a preference for more yes, idealized bodies. Exactly. exactly. So because it's everywhere else that they see it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So if it yeah. seems like the exception, then yeah. then so, so our brains don't compute it in a different way, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. That's yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I agree with you. I think this is a, you know, it's very much a social justice issue, isn't it? You know, of, um, you know, having having uh, clothes that fit bodies rather yes. than bodies to fit into clothes. Yes. And actually recently in the news here, there was, um, there was a bit of a hoo-ha with one retailer uh, charging, wanting to charge more for, 
for plus size clothes because it oh, took more material. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, that also feeds into the social justice issue. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, do the, are the petite clothes cheaper? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are skirts, you know, significantly mm. cheaper than a, you know? I mean, it just doesn't work that way, does no, it? No, it doesn't. Um, no. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I mean, and do you charge taller people more? No. <laughs> yeah. Should we be? Well, no. Some of the clothes, the specialist shops for the big. <laughs> That's true. Actually, are. Um, That's really are more true. Expensive. And I think that that, but that's, that goes for the same things. We, I don't think that it's, it's just that we do it that way. No, not at all. And hopefully, I mean, the, it's, it's, it's really interesting actually, because, um, because there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of folks who, um, um, and are about, uh, you know, manufacturing or designing for, for example, for larger sizes. And I think to myself, there are apparently, according to statistics there are a lot of people in larger bodies and and um there are a lot of people in large bodies who have who who want beautiful well-made clothes Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. want to dress well in a way that they want to dress you know in you know in in various ways so i just think to myself oh my goodness yeah i think that's the thing is that a lot of my clients say they just can't express themselves in clothing mm. because there isn't what they want to wear around mm-hmm. you know, they just it just is not accessible yes and w- which loops us right back around to our the start of our conversation which is thank goodness for the internet and online shopping <laughs> yeah to a point but you know if you, <clears throat> for example the united states i think has a lot more availability of 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 clothing mm-hmm. um but you know in terms of the postage and the returns and because you know inevitably one's going to return a lot of what sure. one orders in the first place you know it's not not that um not that simple yeah no i i would agree with you uh actually in saying that i know that a lot of my clients um who live in larger bodies, they do a lot of online shopping. And um, in Australia, we have, uh, I would say, a a decent kind of selection online. There are a lot of, it's growing. I guess it's, I'm saying, I guess I would say comfortably that it is growing, emerging, expanding, um, hopefully along with our consciousness, really. (laughs) But um, but I completely agree with you. I think in the U, if you live in the US and they have these amazing, like, you know, free delivery and free returns, which means that you can, you know, you yeah. can kind of order a lot. Yeah. In the comfort of your own home too. Um, yeah. Wow. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, a, a brilliant, um, thing to, to be able to walk your clients through is, you know, how to curate, curate social media exposure and then ways in which you know to to clothe oneself um so that we're able to be you know express ourselves in ways that really reflect how we want to be in the world so you and i vania we first came across each other uh, through the Centre for Mindful Eating Um, and we've become very familiar with each other's work over the years. So I'm I'm curious to understand a little bit about how you first kind of came across mindfulness and then mindful eating. Well, mindfulness itself has been something I've been aware of for a very long time. I mean, it's really got traction in all areas of 
life in the Western world, I would say. Um, <clears throat> and so it's been something I've been very familiar with for a while. It's um, in terms of my own real introduction to mindful eating. Ah, gosh, probably around the time when when I became an intuitive eating counselor and uh, became familiar with mindful eating probably seven, six, seven years ago now. Um, really, I, I was introduced to it through navigating my own relationship with food, you know, and getting, getting into a more compassionate, um, uh, balanced, should I say, relationship with it. So I can't even really remember. I think a friend introduced me to the Center for Mindful Eating, and then it was on that first uh, Mindful Eating Day Facebook group thing is where I first got to know you. That's right, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how many years ago that was now, but, but quite a few. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so I started watching a lot of the, the webinars on TCME, which are really inform me so much about so many different areas um, to do with eating that I hadn't really put together, you know, or thought about before. And um, what I really love about it is how simple and practical the whole mindfulness concept is. I and mean, it really doesn't take a lot of um, study or understanding or conceptualization or anything it's mm -hmm. essentially incredibly practical and something anybody can do at any time so in terms of you know when you look at the social justice thing i would say <laughs> mindfulness mm. is really you know there's 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 no issue there in terms of social justice and accessibility to it mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of available across across the board to yeah to to everyone mm -hmm. yeah um, hugely powerful very powerful so what have what have you noticed personally um in your in in developing your own mindfulness practice how what have you noticed has been the impact on you well, I would say there's no part of my life that has not been impacted. It's probably an easier <laughs> way mm -hmm. to, to describe it. I mean, my, my relationships in all areas of my life, um, the work that I do with clients is, is very much located in mindfulness. Um, my relationship with myself, my relationship with my body, you know, in terms of moving, exercising, resting, Really, if you have a practice of awareness and non-judgmental awareness, you know, a practice of curiosity with what is here now, a practice of objectivity, um, all patterns and ways of being rise to the surface. You become aware of what's going on for yourself. Mm -hmm. What's the pattern? What's, what's going on here? Um, but I think, yeah, um, there isn't an area of my life that hasn't been touched by my, by my practice. So I'm particularly curious to ask you if we were just to hone in on one particular area. So when you are working in a 
professional situation with somebody who who is bringing their own, maybe who is bringing their own um, maybe dilemmas or distress or confusion or questions about their relationship with food, eating and their body. So, you know, obviously either sitting in a room or doing an online consult. Um, how does mindfulness help you in when you're working with others? Well, the first thing is I'm aware of my own response. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when somebody's saying something that is particularly if, if, if they come highly charged, you know, there's, there's mm. distress. Um, my kind of compassionate nature, you know, responds to their distress. But what the mindfulness practices help me do is to recognize here is pain. You know, here is, here is pain, you know, in the space that, that, that we're in. And for me, it's, it's almost always an online space. Um, and then to recognize my own response to that pain mm -hmm. and my own, not just my own visceral response, but what's going on in my mind around what they are experiencing. So instead of me being um, uh, conjoined, <laughs> Yep, with that yep. person in their pain I'm witnessing their pain mm -hmm. um, and then I bring that into the space so you know first by by helping them recognize so right in this moment um, how is your body mm -hmm. feeling you know it's what what is your physical response to what's going on for you and, and then they'll talk about you know the clenching in their stomach or the you know the collapsing in the chest or the tightness in the throat or the prickle behind the eyes or you know whatever it might be and then we just you know I just invite them to be with it you know can you just can you just allow this can you be with this for now mm. and you know and, and then we just kind of allow it to be sometimes there are no words it's it's simply allowing the experience to be there and then you know as as I sense, you know, it's time to, or I could say something else. I might say, you know, what are you, what are you noticing is happening in your mind? Yeah. You know, what are the thoughts? You know, can you allow those to be, you know, because can we let our thoughts be just thoughts? Mm -hmm. We don't have to act on them. We don't have to, you know, reproduce. <laughs> They yeah, to have babies with each other and produce all sorts of <laughs> related thoughts. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, but mostly it's, can you be with this right now? Can you allow this experience to be here mm -hmm. and notice, you know, what is happening for you? And then without judgment, you know, without judging themselves for having the thoughts again, probably because, mm -hmm. you know, we can get hard on ourselves for having the same old thoughts over and over again, mm. even though we know that those aren't true and we know where they come from and we know they're conditioned, et cetera, et cetera. We still have them. So can we just have compassion for the fact that this is here right now again, <laughs> one more time, you know, um, and then to help them to see this experience as something that is arising in the present moment you know it's not a permanent fixture it's just what is arising right now and it'll also pass mm. and 
you know, and then, you know, look, really looking at, you know, how can I best, how can I take care of this feeling or myself in this moment? Mm -hmm. That will be, you know, the next question that I would ask, um, given this, given all of this. So this is without necessarily even examining or picking apart any of the thinking that's going on. It's really allowing it to be as it is. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what you're really highlighting there, Vanya, is the idea or, or the skill actually, it's because it is a skill, the skill to be able to be with the experience of our clients to allow them to be with their own experience. Yes. Exactly. And so, I mean, for me, the, 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 the consultation room, and I say that in inverted commas because mm -hmm. for me it's an online space like mm -hmm. we are in yeah. now, yeah. but it's still a room, it's still a space. Um, it's a model for how they can be in their own lives. Yes. So that's what I try to do is to, is to model, model how they can be with themselves you know in their own lives and how they can be with other people in their lives so offering like a little uh, offering a microcosm i suppose of experience mm -hmm. where they can try to be differently um mm -hmm. in not a forced way but in a, a, from a place of curiosity and compassion mm -hmm. and kindness i can i be with this experience without being reactive um but rather being, you know, responsive um, yeah. and caring. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's such a gift. That's a real gift. And I think, I mean, I used the word skill there mm. and I'm curious to know what you think of that word because I, I think it's something that we develop over time. You know, we're, we're not, you know, as, as a therapist and, and clinicians and as humans actually, we're, you know, developing these ways of being with other humans kind of means we have to do our own work as well don't we um, so you know developing these skills it's, it's, it's different to you know read a book um, tick the box yeah 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 and often my clients you know when we do this again and again sometimes they can be hard on themselves about, mm. oh, you know, but we've done this before, you know, we've, we've practiced this before. I mean, the thing that I've just talked you through is a, is a, is a practice called RAINS, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so they'll say, oh yes, that's RAINS, but we've, I've, you know, done that before and, you know, I should know that by now and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I just say really try to, um, have some compassion for yourself because yeah. it takes time to build these skills and it takes time to build that, that capacity to be the witness of your own experience. And really, you know, when, when I talk about mindful eating, cause you know, we sort of started off talking about mindful eating, but it's, it's located in, in mindfulness. It is mm -hmm. a mindfulness practice mm -hmm. and so mindful eating is a way that we can practice our mindfulness. But for me, it's so much more powerful to see it as located within mindfulness rather than a thing by itself. Yeah. 
And so the practice of mindfulness, having a, um, your own practice that is consistent, that you really are dedicated to, you know, not slavishly, yeah. but, but dedicated to, um, is what develops the skill. I, I always say to people, it's not something you can just call on in your moment of crisis. Uh, yeah, you no. To, you actually need to develop the skill. Just like if you were going to run a marathon, you wouldn't like get up tomorrow and go and run a marathon having done absolutely no skill building around your, your physicality so that you can sustain a marathon. You know, you would be doing a lot of preparation building up to it. So when it comes to anything, even feeling your feelings, you know, always say to clients, we, we do the practice in the session, but then start with minor things, little irritations, things that you find annoying. You know, don't think that you're going to be able to sustain this when you're in the depths of despair or, you know, you're, you're livid and absolutely furious or you're in the depths of sadness or grief or something. You know, you start with the little things and build it up, but it does take a consistent practice to, to build the skills. Yeah, that's such that those are really important things to remember. And for us too, you know, as helping professionals um, to be patient and compassionate with ourselves too, um, as, as we are also alongside our clients, often building, building skills. Um, you know, one thing I notice, especially amongst helping professionals, is sometimes we have the most incredible patience and compassion for our clients. But then when it comes to ourselves, we just expect that all of a sudden we're going to be able to just, um, you know, um, you know, enact and be able to call on, call on our own um, self-kindness and, and, um, you know, reduce judgment and be curious and all the, all the different elements of, of mindfulness and, um, you know, present moment awareness, etc. Putting a whole lot of pressure on us. Oh my goodness me. It takes practice, doesn't it? Yeah, it really takes practice. And then it's just mm. the mindfulness. Okay. I got into judgment there. Yeah. You know, just like, all right, I got, I got caught up, you know, I got caught up in a storyline here about, you know, whatever. Or what I sometimes find is I got caught up in a storyline of I have to fix this. Yeah. Uh, that's a classic <laughs> one, isn't it? That's a classic one, particularly for our field, would you say? Totally. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is. Because we want to alleviate suffering, you know. Yes. And so one of the things that I, um, I remind myself of often is I don't know it all. Mm. And I don't have to. I don't have to know it all and and it's enough for me to hold the space in which we can um, explore together what is going on for this client if i can really just come back to now this moment with this person this human being how am i going to choose to be with that person and just the, the minute i do that i can just feel everything relax and i step into trust that whatever what unfolds is what unfolds and what needs to unfold in that moment. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm, I'm going to um, take that, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> no, I love that because what a, what a beautiful, reflective, compassionate 
reminder for ourselves mm -hmm. to just ease back on the maybe the perfectionism and the need to know everything or the need to expert ourselves mm -hmm. in everything. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the word expert. No, <laughs> me, I'm not either. <laughs> like I'm a human being and you know, I'm here. I'm a human being. I'm here and I'm with you and let's see what, what arrives. In the space and and what steps we can we can work out and take, and yes. that's about it. And you know, is it really, is anything more needed than that? Yes. Well, what I find really interesting, Vanya, and I, and I will be curious about your thoughts on this, is that for a lot of us, our training seems to be rooted in the idea of expert, that we're kind of training you to be an expert. And so I wonder, well, I have noticed in my own kind of uh, professional experience that much of the work that I have had to do is to really de-expert de myself or to become a, a humble beginner in so mm -hmm. many different circumstances. So yeah. um, what, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Well, you know what? I keep getting, uh, and I'm sure others who are listening to this podcast in this, you know, working as professionals in this field will will have seen the same is all the marketing gurus who tell you you know they we will teach you how to position yourself as an expert mm. even when you've got no experience mm -hmm. <laughs> have mm -hmm. you seen that yeah yeah no, exactly what you mean <laughs> yeah pull my hair out so there's so many conflicting messages around there but in a way i think i'm lucky because i haven't come from a, a kind of professional background where um, I've had that kind of indoctrination. I've come from a very broad and wide path, you know, yes. professionally. So I think I'm really lucky in that way. And my first foray into doing this work was first of all, through my own journey around making peace of food in my body and then become an intuitive eating counselor and becoming a mindful eating coach. And so um, although that training was, you know, more in the weight normative field, I should say, but already sure, I had sure, I get that, yeah. alerted to that. Yes. And so, so in terms of this work, um, I haven't had that background, you know, that, that probably you have had in mm -hmm. terms of being a dietitian. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think with my, my, with the mindfulness, um, and really the, very much, I think, uh, the internalization of the attitudes of mindfulness. I have de-expertized myself, if there is such a word. Maybe I can <laughs> add that to the dictionary. That can be Vania's favorite word, de-expertized. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I think there's something, you know, um, Magrette Fletcher talks about beginner's mind a lot mm -hmm. and um, I love that. I think that, I think that's a, just a really lovely reminder, you know? Yeah, it is. And if we can start every session with a client with beginner's mind, that is enormously powerful for ourselves and it takes away so much pressure because I know, you know, you, you, you kind of get to know your clients and you get to know, you know, their way of being and, things about their lives and you know sometimes the same client can can turn up in a way that can be very challenging you know for for them 
but also in terms of what comes into the space. And so if we can enter that space with beginner's mind, because we do not know what's going to happen this time. We do not know what they're going to come with. We don't know how they're going to show up. We don't know, we don't know anything actually about the next hour we're going to be together with this person. So if we can enter that space in that way, there's so much more that's possible because we're not coming with an expectation. Mm. Or agenda. Or agenda. Mm. Yeah. It feels like it, it just leaves us so much more open, doesn't open to possibility and, and flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess, you know, if we were to think about that in terms of parallel process, that we're, you know, we're, we're bringing in an attitude um, and an energy which allows things to be as they are so that if things arise that are tricky, so for example, um, um, somebody brings, you know, a high degree of weight related to stress to us and, and wanting perhaps for us to um, help them with that, um, maybe by way of, you know, or may, you may, maybe by way of, um, you know, weight loss advice or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, or um, or any myriad of, of things that can pop up that, that we're able to stay with what is, um, again again to create that microcosm of of um of mindful presence and flexibility with whatever the human experience is that is that is there at that at that moment or during that time and help them to take a step yeah mm-hmm. yeah but but for that step to be revealed rather than we know what the step is in advance yeah yes that's exactly right so is it okay Vanya if I give a little example from a session of mine today yeah yeah so one thing I noticed I I have a a new client who I'm seeing a a lovely um, a lovely female client who is is struggling in her relationship with food and eating and her body And um, I I have only met her once before and she was very distressed. She, um, you know, she, 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 um, her, uh, she has a very critical mind and um, her mind was demanding of her all kinds of different things. And um, she relates to having a very perfectionistic type of um, um, expectations of herself. And she was quite upset, you know, when, and some of the things she felt she quote unquote should have been able to do after meeting for the first time (laughs) actually proved a bit challenging. Um, And so in, there was one moment where, you know, where I I was, I I had to, what I find Vania is that when people are distressed and very upset, you know, I actually have to concentrate quite hard because or, or remain focused you kind of focus gently um because of course our human tendency is to want to fix you know in whatever way that arises whether it's offering advice or um you know wanting to reach out physically or metaphorically um and um to relieve that in whatever way you know that makes sense you know most sense to us and sometimes what might might make 
most sense to us or what feels reflexive is not always in the client's best interests, actually in our best interests, yeah. you know. Um, so I shared with this client, I said, you know, I wonder if it's helpful for you that I share that I am feeling and I pointed appointed to my chest area and I said you know right here I'm feeling this urge urge to say all these things and do all these things because you know I'm noticing that you're really upset and I, f I feel that you know I really feel that and I want you just to know that I see you and I hear you and um, and it was it was a really interesting moment because I'm not I mean, I hope I'm not kind of describing it as if, you know, this is some perfect session or something because it never is, you know, as you know. Um, yeah. But I found, I find that when I'm able to verbalise something that's coming up for me mm. without it making it about me, mm. that it provides this experience between us where we're able to say, I see you, I feel you, I hear you, and can we just be here together? Um, yeah, so I'm sure that you have... You're modelling your own process mm -hmm. um, without making her responsible for your feelings. Mm -mm. Um, and she can then, get it, in a way, what it does, what I, what I find that does is it gives the client permission to validate themselves and to um, notice their own, you know, experience or whatever and have compassion for their own. You know, when you are doing that for yourself, it gives them permission to do that for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, I think it, it additionally um, helps us to see that this, that the human experience and the, and the shifting of emotional experiences and visceral or you know felt experiences and thoughts that um, th that um, you know not only do they come and go and not only are they common human experiences but that we can that we can create this space and uh, uh, um, I call it like flexing the muscle of um, of being with and that if we can like you said before I thought it was so wonderful when you when you gave that kind of verbal demonstration of of, of reins and what I'll do if you don't mind is um, well what I what I wanted to ask is what's your favorite rain? do you have a favorite reins meditation that you'd like me to add to a link um. Tara Brach has got one. Oh. I, can, I can link that for you. I'm oh, I love that. Yeah. It's my favourite. I, I listen to so many of her talks, and <gasps> yes, I think she's great. So, yeah, she's got a she's and she does a lot of work with reins. A lot. She's got a lot on her website around reins. It seems to be like the the main um, the main tool. You know, if you can call it a tool, practice. Um, yeah. Yep. Anyway, I digress. No, no, that's okay. I just wanted to mention that because we mentioned it before, and I thought, oh, I must remember to ask you your favourite. Mm. And then, and then I, w I was Vanya. I was secretly crossing my fingers that it was Tara Brach because because <laughs> <laughs> she's by far my favourite Reigns yeah. Um, yeah. meditation um, yeah. 
go-to person. Um, so everyone listening, I will put that that particular meditation and all maybe a bit of the background of RAINS, like a bit of the background for this compassion-based practice. I mean, really what RAINS is, really what it is, is somebody, Michelle McDonald, I think her name is, who's a senior Vipassana meditation teacher in the US. She really constructed RAINS from a moment of mindfulness because that's really what it is. Mm -hmm. So R-A-I-N, well, actually... It's R-A-I-N. The S has, is, a, is an add-on that has, you know, around that. I don't know where that S came from. But the R-A-I-N is really recognizing what's happening, allowing, investigating. So just investigating what's, you know, what is this feeling like in my body? What are the thoughts, etc. And then the N is the non-judgment, the non-identification. Mm-hmm. piece and then the s the add-on piece is the self-compassion mm-hmm. self-care piece um but that's really what it is it's it's a way to kind of be in a moment of mindfulness or many moments of mindfulness but it's an it's a way to explore a moment of difficulty mindfully yeah yeah i i, I really love rains i wonder if the self-compassion piece has been um added i think it's quite instrumental to be honest mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wonder whether with a lot of the, um, you know, the the coming through of a lot more of the research and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the work of Kristen Neff and Paul Gilbert yes. and yes. and those folks, I wonder whether they were like, oh, this feels like a missing piece. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. And, and um, um, Tara Brach brings self-compassion into everything i mean what she talks about uh the two wings of mindfulness are awareness and self-compassion yeah that's what she brings into everything yeah she speaks a lot about that about the wings in um in her book radical acceptance Mm -hmm. um which uh, that's my favorite tara brach book how how about you what's what's yeah Yeah, no i love it too my mine too (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, it is. It's 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 just so um, powerful. What I love about the whole mindfulness approach, really, and and in a way, I find it interesting how doing this work, which is where we actually do want to lead our clients from their dysfunctional, disordered, whatever relationship with food, into a more peaceful, natural relationship with food in their bodies. So we, there, is, there is an agenda to help them move to that point. However, mindfulness has a no agenda. It's not about goal setting. You're not trying to get anywhere. You're not trying to change anything. And there's nothing you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems like quite a conflict. On the outside, it can seem like a conflict. But actually, you do want to help people move along. And yet, you know, within mindfulness, that isn't what you're doing. However, what happens that with mindfulness, there's a natural moving along. Yes. I feel like it's a a paradox almost. Yeah. It's a paradox conceptually, but I think in in itself, it's not a paradox because mindfulness doesn't mean that you don't move. It doesn't mean that you don't take any steps and it doesn't mean you don't have any action. It just means that you're not forcing Mm-hmm. actions or steps mm-hmm. and you're, you're coming from it 
you're coming to it with a different kind of um, quality of being, which is out of curiosity and, and really a wish to be good to yourself, really. Because I think as human beings, we do want to be good to ourselves, mm-hmm. really. Really, I mean, the, the behaviors we might be um, enacting that aren't self-caring are not because we hate ourselves, I don't think. No. I think that there's still an attempt to be good to ourselves. They're just not working. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think... Kind of being good to ourselves. No, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, when you grow up in a culture which gives you very narrow ideas of what self-care looks like and what um and what happiness looks Mm -hmm. like um what a valuable life looks like um how to be a valuable human being i think you know that innate desire for our own well-being gets very entangled in spiritual ideas yeah it does and and it's all i think at the root of all of that is our need for belonging yes Mm -hmm. because without belonging which you know you need acceptance in order to belong so without acceptance you won't belong and so what we're told is that in order to belong this is what it looks like yes yeah and and it's one one way to do it (laughs) or or or, or a few few um a few choices (laughs) Yeah, very limited, you know. And so what we so what we do is we do what we do in order to belong, because if we don't belong, then we won't survive. You know, that's yes. our kind of hardwiring mm-hmm. as, as a species. So, you know, if we talk about we want to be good to ourselves, that is being good to ourselves is doing what we need to do to belong. Yes. So therefore, all the all the dieting and the trying to be thin and the trying to stay young, God help us. Um, you know, or healthy or any of those other things. Yeah. Um, is, is with, comes out of that need to belong mm-hmm. and to be good to ourselves. The thing is that we do belong. Innately. Yeah, we do belong, you know. Simply because we exist. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yes. of course the capitalist machine has, you other know, plans for us yeah well the capitalist machine preys on that need for belonging to profit off, off us you know and so destabilizes our sense of belonging mm-hmm. it so certainly yeah it certainly does i mean it's very powerful yep it's very powerful and it requires um quite a lot of vigilance to recognize these messages that we keep hearing. Mm -hmm. Which brings us back to mindfulness, which is a particular quality of vigilance, isn't it? You know, it it has a particular, um, um, it's maybe coming from a place of, more of a fierce desire to look after ourselves so that we are being um, um, superpowered mindful (laughs) Um, around our own exposure to 
not only imagery like we were speaking about previously, but then also maybe um, conversations around, um, uh, you know, um, spaces and environments, yeah. which might be, help, I guess, um, helpful or unhelpful for us. Um, yeah. Community. And with the practice of mindfulness, the consistent practice of witnessing our own experience, then we can notice these triggers. That's really what they are. They mm -hmm. trigger that that that, um, that fear of not belonging. We become much more aware of of those around ourselves, and and don't get pulled in by them quite so much. Yeah. And you know, with the consistent practice, we become more resilient. And that's not to say we don't ever, you know, um, get triggered by those things. Of course. But, but um, much able to catch it a lot more quickly, able to recover from it a lot more quickly. And it just gets, it gets easier over time. But I've got to come back to the consistent practice. <laughs> I just yes. don't think it's possible without it. No, I agree. And so what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, there are, and I know that you and I both share this, that we're both very considerate. I mean, rather than using the word mindful again, um, you know, we're both very considerate about um, not necessarily offering messages that are that could lead people to feel bad or guilty or, um, you know, um, yeah, critical of themselves if they're not able to for, for whatever reason. Um, and yet, um, um, not only does research, research support the idea of consistent practice, um, but also, um, you know, um, lived experience also tells us about the, um, about the benefit of consistent practice. So I guess um, I'm wondering your thoughts on how we can be considerate with that message whilst, do you know what I'm asking? Like how can we kind of, we be very encouraging and consistent with that message whilst being thoughtful about people, about people sinking into Oh well, if I can't do it consistently, then why do it at all? You know that kind of old diet mentality type of yeah. stuff. Yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, the, the the difficulty is that without the experience of the benefits, you don't have the motivation to have the consistent practice so that you can experience the benefits. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I what I try to do is is with my clients is I really enroll them into the idea of mindfulness. Obviously it's their choice, but if they're choosing to work with me, I make it really clear that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this with located in a mindfulness arena. Yes. Um, and I, I never say, you know, there, there are no rules. You have to, you should, you must, you know, it's, it's very lightly held the invitation to do the meditation. But I think that's how I, phrase it as an invitation yeah whether they decide to take it up or not is up to them but i always start a session with mind with a mindful meditation because i want to keep reinforcing the importance of it and help guide the practice 
and help answer questions. So you know, the other day a client said to me, oh, you know, I have this urge, I meant to ask you this urge to cough. It's like, you know, should I suppress the cough or should I just let myself cough? You know, mm. if we didn't do this in the start of the session, she wouldn't know. Or somebody forgets to turn off their phone and it starts ringing and we are doing the meditation and I'll just say, it's okay, this is just a distraction life has brought. You know, just mm. let's be with it. Notice the sound, notice what's happening in your body as your phone is ringing, what's happening in your mind, <laughs> you know, yeah. et cetera. So I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but just to say that the first thing is I, 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 do, I do it in the session. I, I do at least 10 minutes, sometimes a little bit longer to start off the session. Also to create that kind of that pause that is so important for us to be incorporating in our lives, pauses, you know, in the day and just recognizing I've come from something, I'm going into something else. We're just going to have a pause and check in with ourselves. So the other thing that I do is I ask, you know, I will ask the client, what feels doable to you to do in terms of meditation? Mm -hmm. You know, how many times a week does it, would it feel doable to you? And how many minutes, you know, to start off with? And not to say that they're being, you know, that, that it's a rule they have to follow or that they fail if they don't do it, but then to help them take another step, which is because when you're in an automatic um, you're in, you know, an automatic frame of mind, it's hard to do something new. So how can we set you up so that you succeed at doing this? Well, one thing you can do is look at your diary and see where, where are the gaps that you could do a 10 minute meditation, you know, so many times a week and up, can you put it in your diary so mm -hmm. that it's actually there and you have an appointment with yourself. It's not by chance. And if you notice this thing pops up on your calendar or you notice in your diary or oh, the meditation, and you choose not to do it, just ask yourself what, 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 what leads you to make that decision. It's not mm -hmm. wrong, but mm -hmm. can you be curious about how come you made that decision not mm -hmm. to do it when you had that appointment with yourself? Because all of this is part of the self-discovery about why we behave in the way that we do, yeah. why we choose the things that we choose. So, you know, it's all useful. It can all be used, you know, the resistance, the not doing, the doing. <laughs> yeah. It can all be, you know, part of the practice, so to speak. I that really like that. Question? Oh, sure did. Yeah, no, that's that's lovely because what you're really um, illustrating and demonstrating there is still coming at it from a place of curiosity and genuine interest in our own well-being whilst taking the pressure off the perfectionism and taking mm -hmm. the pressure off the shoulds type thing and additionally what you really illustrated particularly in that final um, final part is that you know to become curious about um about maybe our reflexive responses the resistances yeah resistances yeah. exactly you know the you know the the uh the alert pops up and then the oh you know what thoughts pop don't up, have time don't have time yeah. got so much else to do um etc etc and then to notice how um, <laughs> how those thoughts or, or or reflexes can be so um patterned you know um patterned for us i, I don't I don't love the word habitual or habits uh, for, for a few reasons, but um, patterns are 
I guess, a little gentler um, way that we can recognise our, I mean, they're human tendencies, aren't they? You know, we all have yeah. passions. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, that was, that was a, a lovely, very realistic way that um, we can approach. Um, I think the other thing yeah. also to remember uh, is for some clients actually doing a sitting meditation is too big of a step at that yeah. at that point and that's yeah, okay definitely. so what what I try to encourage them to do is like something that you do habitually like brush your teeth or make a cup of tea or go to the toilet or you know something that you do um, consistently at least once a day maybe several times a day choose one of those things to be really present with so notice what's going on in your body, notice your senses, notice what's going on in your mind and try to witness the act of brushing your teeth. So the whole of you, what is going on with the whole of you as you're brushing your teeth, because that's another way to really become present with yourself. And that's, that's two minutes. If you're brushing your teeth or three minutes or whatever it is twice a day, that you can be building that skill but you're not yeah. doing a meditation and that's totally fine. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the kind of informal or opportunistic ways that yeah. we can bring, bring our mind, um, uh, coax, I guess, coax our mind yeah. back to the present moment experience is yeah. um, very powerful. And in fact, um, I've um, become much more interested now in, in the, you know, which, which is it? of the um you know what is it about mindfulness which is which is the most powerful and interestingly i've started consistently finding that a lot of mindfulness and meditation teachers talking about that it's the act of coming back that builds mm -hmm. your skills mm -hmm. so that if you drift off as we all do into mm -hmm. thought, into fantasy, into memories, into mm -hmm. fortune telling, yada, yada, yeah. yada. Um, all those list making, all those things that we do, mm -hmm. that actually that is not, um, that, that, that is not unhelpful. And oh, absolutely, it, it's helpful. <laughs> exactly, it's helpful because it gives us this opportunity to flex that muscle mm -hmm. of gently coaxing ourselves back to the moment. Um, yeah. And that it's that action repeatedly mm -hmm. that helps us to create awareness, gently coax ourselves, uh, our minds um, yeah. back. Yeah, so develop that witnessing. Yep. Because the moment you witness, ah, oh, I've got caught up in a story or I'm thinking, that's you being the witness. Yeah. And so you're just, you're building that neural pathway of being the witness. Yeah. Okay which is just so enormously powerful. Yeah, I find, I find that aspect of mindfulness useful to tell people. It definitely, because it takes you know? the pressure off. You know, people yeah. have this idea that, you know, oh, it means, you know, empty mind. No, oh, good mind. luck with that. <laughs> whatever, whatever is the mind, <laughs> is, exactly. you know, is it. And you, you, you can anchor it, you can anchor yourself with your breath as a way just to remind yourself to keep coming back. Mm -hmm. but you can equally anchor yourself in your toe, in your ear, in your, you know, it can be anything that you use as an mm -hmm. anchor to coming back. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there, there are, there's no, there's no 
goal that we're trying to reach with, with this. There isn't an outcome. I think that's really helpful to tell clients as well. There isn't an outcome we want. It's not about relaxation and it's not about nirvana. It's about coming back to yourself over and over and over again and developing that awareness and that witnessing without judgment. That is what the practice is. And I think oh, that's I very that. relieving for people yep. mm -hmm. to, to understand that. Um, and it, it feels much more democratic, shall I say, because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, getting into a kind of nirvanic state seems to be for the, the very few, if, if any. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and and what that really speaks to is uh, is is um, expectation. You know, when yeah. we expect to feel a certain way, or we expect ourselves to be able to uh, quote unquote achieve something using apparently this tool, um, then uh, you, you know we we end up frustrated, disappointed, and and mm. you know perpetuating that cycle of self criticism. Mm. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, in and of itself, you know, mindfulness is, uh, shall we say, simple but not necessarily easy? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I think when we let go like... of the expectations, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah. The expectations get in the way of it feeling um, easeful. If you just don't have any expectations of how it's going to be and, and you just allow yourself to be allow yourself to experience what is it becomes easier of course if you're in a very agitated state or you're distressed in some way something's happened that your mind is incredibly activated it might be harder to be with in that in that moment but it's still really valuable to be able to do that but obviously held with lightness so you know if if, if it's if it feels too hard to do because of distressing feelings that you don't want to be within that moment, then I think we need to honor that and, you know, come back another time when it feels a little less um, pressed or charged. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the the power in the kind of highly charged state um, is that with practice we can begin to see the charge rising, um, mm. rather than feeling like oh if I'm 10 out of 10 anxious I quote unquote should be using my mindfulness skills as opposed to you know what is it that I'm noticing in my body in my mind yeah. Yeah. Um, which tells me that I'm on my way like I'm on that train <laughs> yes yes you can feel you you're, yeah. you're 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 riding up the levels in terms yes. of the anxiety yeah. yeah I have one client who um was had she's well, medication for anxiety. So she had anxiety to the level that required medication. And um, she really took on the meditation. And she is just, it's its just so gratifying, really, to, um, to witness the change in how she's able to be with herself and the compassion that she has for herself and her anxiety because she still feels the anxiety but she's able to catch it so much at, at the early stages before it builds up and elevates not every single time I mean we're all human and we don't you know <laughs> we don't get it every single time but but the shift has just been incredible and so then that experience motivates her to keep the practice yeah so i think 
I think what I try and encourage people to do is give it a few weeks of your attention um, consistently and see what happens because it, yeah. it needs to have some time in order for you to start seeing the benefits. Absolutely. But in so, that, and yeah. in that way, it's, it's similar to, for example, if you started taking some medication for, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. that not all medications work quickly. Um, yeah. Often, mm -hmm. you know, depending on what it is, yeah. of course, you know, often they take time. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, to be able to build our skills in having commitment towards our own well-being mm -hmm. is, um, oh, I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty important life skill, especially when yeah. we struggle to kind of have our own back and support our yeah. own yeah. sense yeah. of well-being. By having the support of another person yes. who has your back, yes. it's just so powerful. Absolutely. 100%. You know, when we just don't have the resilience, you know, we can lean on somebody who can be there for us and, you know, help us take the next step and build that resilience for ourselves. Yeah, that's so true. And to show us and to, to reflect back to us, to be a, to be a, a lovely mirror for our imperfect um, humanity. Um, yeah. <laughs> I demonstrate that very regularly, my imp imperfect humanity. <laughs> Something yeah, I'm quite yeah. proud of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Vania, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, it has been such an incredible pleasure speaking with you. It really has. Um, you know, you, I, I just find your work incredibly inspiring um, and the commitment that you have to not only your clients but also, you know, the mindfulness community and the generosity that you have um, in sharing your skills um, and your practices with us as professionals and also mm -hmm. the general community. I'm just incredibly grateful. Um, so mm -hmm. if you don't mind, um, I'm going to share um, the links to your website and to some of your work. So um, do you mind, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about where people can, can find you, more about you and your work? Yes. And before I do, I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity, so grateful that you have created the space for people and the work that you do with other dietitians to, you know, in increase the community of uh, non-diet approach is, is extraordinary. I just don't know how you manage to do it and go around the world and teach people and bring up a family and... Oh, it's very inspiring and, well, and be very human with it as well and messy and all of that. Oh, thank you. Well, I, you know, Vanya, I don't sleep. You know, this is this is the thing. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, whoopsie, self-care. Yeah. All right. So I can be found at um, www.peacefuleating.co.uk and the same on Facebook and the same on Twitter and those are the places I really hang out. And yeah, I'd love to connect with whoever has enjoyed this and would like to connect. Yeah, that is, that's wonderful. I would particularly point folks who are listening to Vania's um, latest video series. Um, they are excellent. I cannot, um, I, I cannot suggest them I recommend them highly enough as being a beautiful demonstration of how we can help help 
folks shift um, from diet mentality to um, uh, well, shift away from diet mentality, but from a place of compassion and care. So uh, just jump on those videos because they and share them, please, with your clients because they're amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so beautiful. Vania, it has been an absolute pleasure. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I really look forward to connecting with you again soon. Me too, P. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.